Amen, amen. Cornerstone people, it's so good gathering and worshiping and singing with you today. Thank you, worship band. You may all be seated. Slide man, please give us the series slide. And I just confess to you, by the third song there, I was getting worried, like, am I going to be able to preach? I've got to regain my composure here. Tears were going down my cheeks. And and I'm glad it just calmed down in that fourth song. And I was trying to, like, not let it grip me real bad. Are you all doing okay today? And, and now we get to go to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, my goodness, what a day of worship at Cornerstone it is. So thank the Lord for the blessings of being here today. And let's, uh, let's read some scripture today. This is from Ephesians 2. We're going to go back to verse 4 and get a running start here. And we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a passage, what a part of the word of God. Would you bow with me and we'll pray together, please. Father in heaven, thank you for blessing us to come to this place to worship you today. We pray that it may be a day of saving grace and that some who have come into this room, some of our little ones who are downstairs, some who are with us online, we pray that some will bow the knee today and confess that Jesus is Lord to your glory, O God the Father. We pray also that this will be a day when believers will find their hearts rejoicing in the wonder, the glory, the beauty, the magnitude of the so great salvation we have through Christ Jesus. So minister deeply into our hearts through your word, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, let me show you a slide. This is where we're going. And it's uh, three places we're going today. First, we're going to see that we are a heavenly people. And second, we're going to see that we are a heavenly people who are here for a divine purpose. And thirdly, we're going to see we're a heavenly people who are here for a divine purpose, and we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's where we're going. First, we are a heavenly people. Now, I'm eager to get to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 as, as, as eager as you are. But there's something we kind of went over kind of fast last week, and I can't help it. i got to circle back. i got to spend a little bit more time on something we saw last week. Let me give you the text, Ephesians 2, 5b through 6. It's this part where it says, He made us alive together with Christ. 
So remember back in chapter 1, verse 20, we are told the Father raised Christ and seated Christ at the Father's right hand. Now in chapter 2, he's saying he made us alive together with Christ. Then the parenthetical clause, by grace you have been saved, he'll expand on that at verse 8. But to go on, we're alive together with Christ, and he raised us up with him. We walk in newness of life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. And he seated, this is the one I want to talk about today. This is the part we're circling back to. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's three verbs there. Note them. He made us alive, he raised us, and he seated us. We're talking about seated us. Want to spend a little more time on that one. Like, what does that mean? To help us, there's a parallel passage written about the same time as this was written. It's in Colossians chapter 3. I'll just read it because it contributes a little bit. Here it is, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For... You have died, and your life, this is like mysterious stuff, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So did you, did you track with that? God raised him up and seated him at his own right hand. You've died with him, and your life is hid in Christ, with Christ in God. In fact, it's so hidden that, look at the end, When Christ, who is your life, appears, that's the last day, then you also, the real you, I think we can justly read that in there, like you're the beta version, but but the real launch is going to come out at the last day. And then when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Like then we'll see the real you. So here's the little beta version. Here's the little temporary you. Here's the little not yet glorified you. Here's the little kind of fallen and messed up you. But already, by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, because you are in Christ, no longer in Adam, but now you're in Christ. By virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, you are already, this is hard to grasp. That's why we're circling back to it. You're already seated with him at the right hand of the Father. That's the real you. This is the temporary, flimsy, kind of crummy you. But when he appears, you'll appear. Then we'll get the real you. So back to our verse. Next slide, please. Ephesians 2, 5b through 6. Again, look at it again with me, just so you get what we're doing here. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. We're already raised to newness of life in Christ. But here's the thing. And, past tense, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right, so what does that mean? There's a lot in it. What does it mean, that part that he seated us with him, with Christ, at the right hand of the Father, we're already, past tense, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And by the way, just to help out a little more, before I start trying to answer the question, what does that mean? 
There's another text that uses a very interesting past tense that lines up with this one. I'm not putting it up there for you, but it's Romans Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, where God says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. So, between Ephesians, Colossians, and Romans, you're already seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, where all authority is given unto him, and he's reigning over all things, You're already there. That's the real you. That real you will appear at the last day when this kind of flimsy temporary you fades away. And not only that, but you're also glorified, past tense. So you're seated and you're glorified. Now, let me ask you, how glorified do you feel? And how seated at the right hand of Christ do you feel? You say, well, I, I kind of feel like I'm seated in Cornerstone Church, 2907 Mountain Road. I, I sort of feel like that's where I am. Just, that seems real. Pinch myself. I, I think I'm really here. Like, I don't feel like, it doesn't look like I'm up in the throne room. I've read Daniel 7. I've read Revelation 4 and 5, the throne room passages of the Bible, all the cherubim, seraphim, and uh, you know, the 24 thrones that represent the elders of the Old Testament and the elders of the New Testament, the apostles and the, and the, uh, the patriarchs. And, and they represent all the people of God from all time in Christ. Like, I kind of feel like I'm here, not there. So why does Paul use these past tenses? You are seated. You are glorified. All right, so what most people do with this, and so you can tell already, this is not what I'm going to do with this. What most people do with this, so I'm going to go out on a branch today, a little bit alone out there. What most people do with this is they they say, well, that's positional. You heard that? All right, like the text doesn't say that, but a lot of people say, all right, we don't know what to do with that, so here's what we'll call it. That's positional. Like your position by virtue of being in Christ is you're, you're there with him, but it's positional, it's not real. I think, this is just me, folks, hang in there. I think there's more to it than that. So it's true, by virtue of our union with him, he's there, so we're there. It's as if when you're in Christ, he gathers up everybody who's in Christ, and where he goes, they go. When he's in the throne room, they're in the throne room, because they're in Christ. But yet I'm still here, I know I'm here, I'm pretty sure I'm here. So what does this mean? I'm already seated there, and I'm already glorified. I'm already in those throne room passages of the Bible, and I'm just wondering. I I just read and read and read the people on my shelves and the people, the good people online, and I wasn't getting answers. I have a theory. So now you're all thinking, oh, boy, here we go. This is a one-off, a Pastor Steve theory. It can't be right. Well, you think about it. So... What do we know about God and time? Well, there are actually generally two views among evangelicals on that. There's a really good book that presents four views by four different theologians on God and time. It it turns out at the end of the book, there's really only two views. So the one view says God is completely outside of time. Chronological time means nothing to him. Everything is an ever-present now to him. He has no real relationship to time. The other view, championed by uh, Daniel Lane Craig, for example, uh, that view says 
Though there is certainly that about God which is outside of time, above time, transcends time, isn't bound by time, yet since he created earth and time, since he created a universe and time, he is in some way related to time. He is in some way connected to time. Like he gets time. He speaks various things to humans at different times in our existence. So some say he's completely outside of time, transcends time. Others say he is outside and transcends, but he has some relationship to temporal things in some manner. In either case, you get this. There's that in God which is supra-temporal. There's that in God which is like, Time doesn't mean what it means to us. Like Einstein was nibbling at this, right? With his thought experiments and the clocks and the train going by and what does time really mean? And since Einstein, we believe time itself is relative. Time can slow down. Time can speed up. Interesting. So maybe what Paul is doing is telling us that there is a sense in which You are already there because God is not bound by this time. Um, You're all really looking at me. So a related thing, that's good, you're looking at me, keep looking. So a related thing, some theologians believe that if you die right now, well, like, where do you go to the last day? Some theologians believe, and I'm in their camp, you actually go immediately to the last day. You don't go in a holding tank somewhere for a while. You show up at the last day. And it's immediately a new you and a new heavens and earth, and you have a new body and you're glorified. There's a sense in which in God's time scheme, you're already there. You're already glorified. You're already seated at the right hand of the Father. So it's kind of like, now this gets really weird. Ooh, esoteric. You're going to think I'm leading a cult now. Here we go. Uh, it's it's kind of like there's two yous. So right now there's this you, temporal, mundane, not so glorified. And then there's another you that's already glorified and seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in the throne room. And here's the thing. We're trying to connect the two. So let me do a thought experiment with you, and I'll just I'll confess to you. I'm not a very mystical guy. I'm more like a meat and potatoes and nuts and bolts kind of guy. There are people who are very mystic. They tend to fast a lot and pray for long seasons. Um... I'm not exactly that guy. I'm more like give me the facts guy. But I want, I want to tell you somewhere, something about where I live. So here's a thought, thought experiment for you. Imagine with me, please, that there is a spiritual wormhole between where you are now and who you are now and that you. So that really if you could pass through that wormhole, if it would open up right here and you'd step in, you'd be immediately there. That's what these passages feel like to me. And I really, I live all the time, like I'm imagining all the time that I'm just on the other side of the, and there it all is. Here's the way I actually picture it. There's a great big tube. I don't know why, this is how, what works for me. Like you've been to a construction site and they're, they're deconstructing something on the third floor and they have a great big tube. They throw the junk in there and it lands in the dumpster. There's a big tube like that and it ends right above me and the other end of the tube is in the throne room at the Steve who is glorified, at the Steve who is already seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, and and it's a the tube is like a wormhole, so it's actually and you're there, all right. And all the time living here on the planet, 
Light is shining out of that tube. Glory is dropping out of that tube. And like wherever I go, the tube goes. And, and I'm never very far away from the throne room. Well, sometimes I am if I'm just being mundane. But often, that tube's opening up ahead of me, and it's not far. It's like that far to the very throne room, to the presence of God, to the presence of the Lamb, to the, the, the people of God of all ages who are gathered there, to God the Holy Spirit. And we're living on the planet in a holy place. Wherever you go is a holy place. So it reminds me of, we won't turn there, I'm going to take you there in your thoughts, Genesis 28, Jacob's ladder. Jacob has a dream. It's a God-given dream. It's a powerful dream. And he dreams about a ladder. Some think it might actually be a ziggurat that he saw. Maybe, but steps. And at the top of it reached to heaven, into the presence of God. And he was at a place where suddenly the presence of God opened up on earth, like psh, the wormhole opened. And oh, oh, I'm seeing glory. Oh, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing the throne room. I'm seeing angels. I'm seeing the presence of God. It opened up right in front of him. He could see the Lord. It was actually the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ appearing in human form, as he often does in the Old Testament. And the angels of God ascending and descending. And Jacob woke from his sleep, and here's what he said, Genesis 28. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. It opened up to me. Now I know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, Bethel. And this is the gate of heaven. You want to live right there. Because you're already raised, you're already seated, you're already glorified. You are a Bethel. You're the temple of God made without stones, made without hands, made with, with living stones, made without hands, made with living stones. You're, you're the temple of God in which God dwells. You're a holy place. Everywhere you go is holy ground. Everywhere you put your feet, angels are ascending and descending. If you just had eyes to see, if God would just like open the wormhole like he did for Jacob and let you see, whoa, wait a minute, there's angels right here. Oh, there's glory right here. Oh, I'm in the presence of God right here. Every day, conscious that you're living right in the presence of God, never far from the light of that holy place, never far from the you who is seated in the heavenlies. Tell you what, it helps you to fend off temptations. Like some ugly thing presents it to yourself and you're like, why would I want to go over there? That's from the other team. That's from the evil place. Why would, why would I want to do that? It's horrifying because you're walking in, in the light of that holy place. So Paul says, you, you are seated. And I'm going to just say to you, just please then, take your, ladies and gentlemen, take your seats. So be seated. So live like people who are seated at the right hand of Christ. Live like people who are ruling and reigning with him already. Live like people who are glorified already. All right, but I'm still here on the earth. Yeah, but it isn't far. Live like you're walking in the light of that place, and it's shining all over you and shining into your soul, and you're right in the very presence of God everywhere you go all the time, because you are in Christ. 
Okay? Man, I just want to end the sermon right there. We are a heavenly people. Here's the second point we're looking at today. This one will be very brief. We are here for a divine purpose. We peaked at this last week, but it needs more than a peak. We are here for a divine purpose. Something big is happening with you. Here it is, Ephesians 2, 7. So that you're seated with Christ, the right hand of the Father, so that, that's a purpose clause, so that in the coming age, there's this age, there's the coming ages, eternity, so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So this is answering the question, why is it all happening? I've been saying this to you too often lately, maybe, but I'm going to do it again because it's in our verse. Why is, why is this all here? Why did God create? Why did he allow the fall? Why did he send Christ to redeem his people? Why is there a last day? Why is there a judgment? Why is there a heaven? Why is there a hell? What is this all about? What's the big story? What's the big picture? Paul just gave it to us again in Ephesians 2, 7. This is all so that then he might show something. What's he want to show? He wants to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Without a creation, he'd never show that. Without a fall, he'd never show that. Without redemption, he'd never show that. Without a judgment in heaven and hell, he'd never show that. Why is it all happening? There's a cosmic reason. The reason isn't so that he might give you everything you want. The universe is going to be rather harsh for some people. The universe is not about you. It's about God. It's not that God is here for you to fulfill, to help you fulfill all your purposes, to make all your dreams come true, to help you fulfill your destiny. No, the universe is not about your little purposes and your little destiny, and God does not exist to provide you with all you want. You are here to give him glory. You are here to behold his grace and his mercy and his kindness given you in Christ Jesus and to give him an eternal revenue of glory. We saw that in chapter one. An eternal revenue of glory is paid to God, is given to God from the souls of the redeemed. So live God-centered, not me-centered. Because this isn't all here for me, it's all here, including me, for him. So live God-centered. I'm here so that in the coming ages, God might in me show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward me in Christ Jesus. That's why I exist. That's what I'm here for. That's my purpose. That's the big story. So live in light of that. So this is big stuff today. I hope you realize it. So I'm living just on the other side of a wormhole from all the glory of God, from the throne room, from that place, and while I'm living here, everything that's happening is for this purpose, that God might reveal his attributes so that beholding, wondering, loving saints might glorify him forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what's going on. Here you thought it was about getting a raise. Here you thought it was about getting a newer truck here you thought about, it was about, can we, can we just get the house we want? That's all night. Hope those things all work out good for you. But it's not about that. Your thinking is way too small 
Your purposes, your goals, your love, your vision is way too small. You need to live with the big vision. Here's what's really going on. Here's where I am. I'm in a holy place. It's dripping down on me. The light is dropping out of the tunnel above me. I'm in this place of glory. I'm part of the house of God, and I'm here that, I might, that he might show. So we're a heavenly people. We're here for a divine purpose. Like our worship this morning absolutely wiped me out. And now this, these passages absolutely, this is a wipeout day at Cornerstone, guys. And now we come to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Hmm. So here's the third thing we're looking at today. First, we're here, we are a heavenly people. Second, we're here for a divine purpose. Now thirdly, and we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which are exquisite. Like, this is an amazing moment in Cornerstone's life and history. We get to think corporately today about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and they are amazing. Let's read them. I'll read them for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Great preacher in London in the 1900s, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, quote, we are here in those verses, we are here face to face with one of the most crucial statements that is to be found anywhere in Scripture. Another guy named Honer, H-O-E-H-N-E-R, best commentary on Ephesians on the planet, in my opinion. He wrote it in 2002. I read through it then. I'm rereading now as we go. And he writes, quote, these verses depict the essence of the gospel and probably provide us with the best summary of the gospel in all of Paul's writings. It is grace from start to finish. Go back to the 1500s, Germany, the great reformer Martin Luther wrote of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and he said, this is the doctrine of a standing or a falling church. You hold to that doctrine, your church stands. You let go of that doctrine, your church just fell. The doctrine of a standing or falling church. Brothers and sisters, this is holy ground. It is not by accident, it's not a bad idea that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, along with maybe John three sixteen, are so well known. They deserve to be. So let's look at the words. Every one of them. Because <laughs> they're all really good. So Paul starts off and he says, go back one slide, please. Slide man, thank you. For by grace, it's by grace. We can add the word alone, and the reformers add the word alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. How, how are you justified in adding the word alone? Because Paul doesn't say it's by grace plus anything. So it's, it's not by grace plus your inherent righteousness. You've become a very good person. It's not by grace plus you've been, you've been very good at keeping God's law. Hint, you haven't. It's, it's not by grace plus you're one of the really good people. There's only one good person in the whole story. He's seated at the right hand of the Father now. 
It's not by grace plus anything. So we are justified in saying that our salvation is by grace alone. We want you all to know that Cornerstone Church stands on that. Like there are other things we can flex on. What's your view of eschatology last time? We can flex. We're not going to flex on this. We are saved by grace alone. The word grace is the Greek word charis. We have a young lady in the church, a very young lady in the church, who's named that word. It's rather adorable. The, the Greek form indicates this is the means, this is the cause, this is the instrumentality. You are saved by grace. Grace in itself means, by the way, a free gift. What is grace? It's a gift. The charis is a gift. Charis is a free gift. What this is saying is, you don't ever earn heaven, you don't ever deserve heaven, you're never good enough for heaven, All, we are unworthy of the least of his mercies, we're unworthy of heaven, it is by grace alone, it is by a free gift. The Bible often repeats this, I'll read you one other, it's not on the slide, Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's unmistakably clear in Scripture that salvation is a free gift. It's by grace alone. What is a gift? Just to be clear, a gift is anywhere where they don't charge you anything. Okay? So let's say, this is a little illustration that will be unique to me. Let's say Pete's Cycles. They're on Harford Road, I think, just inside the Beltway. And let's um, that's motorcycles. They sell motor. Suppose Pete's calls me. You Steve Hartland? Yes, I'm Steve Hartland. What can I do for you? Well, we have a brand new 2022 Ducati V4R. That's a $40,000 motorcycle, folks. Faster than lightning. And they call me and say, uh, we have one for you. It's free. All you have to do is come get it. I'd be like, are you open in 10 minutes? Like, I don't want to let that deal pass by, all right? Free means I don't contribute anything. I don't pay anything. I don't have to work for it. There's nothing I have to do except show up and receive it with the empty hand of faith. Heaven is like that. Salvation, to put it another way, we want you to understand, salvation is absolutely not performance-based. It's not, well, I did three of those and five of those, and I did a pretty good job, and I was better than them, and therefore I'm going to go to heaven. No, 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 no. It's, I am unworthy of the least of his mercies, and God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he is. So it's nothing about it is performance-based. By grace, we are what? By grace, you have been saved. That's the Greek word sozo, sozo. What does saved mean? It means delivered. It means saved. Well, delivered or saved from what? Well, delivered from hell, delivered from the wrath of God, delivered from a bad day at judgment day, delivered from sin, delivered from deadness. You've been saved from all those things. All the results of your fallenness with Adam and Eve, you've been saved. You've been delivered from all those things. Well, how do I get that? How do I access that? If it's a free gift and it saves me from all that, how do I get it? Here's how. By grace you have been saved through faith. There's how you get it. It's through faith. Just to make sure you get that, he says, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Like he's heaping up terms to make it clear here. 
It's, it's through faith. By what means do I pick up the heavenly motorcycle? Through faith. It is simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by calling upon his saving name. God says, I now wash you of all your trespasses, and I forgive you of all your sins, and I give you the free gift of everlasting life, and I put the righteousness of Christ on your account. You are everlastingly and eternally saved through faith. The word faith, the Greek word pistis, means trust, means believing, means confidence. It's used 142 times by the Apostle Paul, like Paul was into faith eight times in Ephesians. And this is not your own doing again, he says. Literally, that that would be translated, and this, not from you, of God is the gift. It's not from you. I would go so far as to say even the faith is a gift of God. Why would you say that? Because listen to these verses. They're not going up there. Acts 18, 27, Apollos, we are told, greatly helped those who through grace had believed. How come they believed? Through grace, it was a gift. The believing was a gift. Or Philippians 1.29, Paul says, for to you it has been granted. It's a gift. It's grace. Not only to believe, but to suffer. God gave you the faith to believe, and God gave you to suffer for Jesus Christ. Be that as it may, let's, let's move on. We're still not done. He says then later, it is a gift of God, not a result of works. Now, is it becoming crystal clear that our salvation from A to Z is all God's work and not ours, our work? Is all God's gift and not our contribution? And that gets repeated a lot, not a result of works. Romans 4, 4, not up there. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And Romans eleven six. 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So you put in 40 hours of hard work, they owe you pay. Guess what? For heaven, you don't put in any hours of hard work. God owes you nothing, or it wouldn't be grace. It would be works, plain enough. And why is it important? Well, we're still not done. He says, so that no one may boast. So God doesn't want you or anybody else showing up in heaven and let's interview you. We tap you on the shoulder in heaven. Hey, how'd you get here? Well, I, I was very good. I worked really hard, harder than most people. I'm superior and I kept God's law better than they do. I was more holy. I was more righteous. I loved people more than, than they loved me. So you know, I, basically, I just, I just crushed it, getting to heaven. I crushed it. No, there, there's only one. That, his name is Jesus Christ. He's not you. No one can get to heaven and boast. So when we tap you on the shoulder in heaven and say, how'd you get here? You'll say, oh, man, grace of God. Salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and somehow in God's purpose and plan, I was blessed to receive it. Empty hand of faith. That's how I got here. I'm unworthy. I'm undeserving. I don't deserve to be here. No one deserves to be there. Romans 4.2, not up there. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Galatians 6.14, God forbid I should boast, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. So we get up to heaven and we tap everybody on the shoulder and say, what's your boast? And they all say, the cross. 
the shed blood of my Savior, the Lamb who loved me and gave himself in my stead. Then where do my works fit in? Let's go on and uh, look at verse 10. Slide man, you have verse 10 for me? You might not have that. There it is, thank you. For we are his workmanship. So we look at you, you're in Christ, you're saved, you've called upon the name of the Lord. How'd that happen? God worked on you. You are his workmanship. Like when you make a pie, we look at the pie, that's Debbie's workmanship, the pie. This is God, you are God's workmanship. And created in Christ Jesus. So you're God's workmanship, and you're also the result of God's creative activity. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he created new life in your soul, filled you with saving faith in the Lord Jesus, raised you up, seated you, glorified you. You're created as God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, what good works? That'll be Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. There are the good works and many other parts of the Bible. So that's where our good works fit in. Where do works, good works fit in? They're the fruit. They're not the root. They're the result of God's saving grace. They're not the cause of your salvation. They don't contribute one bit to your salvation, but they inevitably flow from a regenerated, spirit-filled soul. So that's where good works fit in. All right. Let me say this in closing, and that's not your signal yet, keyboard person. So here's what I want to say in closing. One, so the Protestant Reformation, do you all know what that is? 1500s, Martin Luther got it started. A lot of other reformers stepped up to the plate, and they said, uh, Rome is wrong because Rome is making it works. And Rome is pronouncing anathemas on Protestants who say it's not works. Uh, the Protestant Reformation was not fought in vain. And amazingly, surprisingly, there is no shortage of evangelicals who are leaving evangelical Protestantism, and going to Rome. I just want to say, don't y'all be among them. Now, could it be that there are many, many people saved by grace, by the grace of God through Jesus Christ who are in Rome? I think absolutely. There's one lives in my neighborhood. Like she goes to Mass every morning, and if she doesn't love Jesus Christ, nobody does. But it's in spite of the doctrines of her church not because of the doctrines of her church. So I'm not here to say everybody in Rome is like, you know, gone. No, 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 thank God, I don't think that is the case. But Rome's pretty messed up. And the, the Protestant Reformation was not a useless endeavor. Let's review the five solos of the Protestant Reformation. I'll put them up. Here they are on a slide for you. So the five solas are sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola, solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli Deo gloria, for God's glory alone. This, this is the, the hallmark of the Protestant Reformation. Stick to it. Hold fast to it. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, for God's glory alone. That's us. That's what we're about as people, and that's what we're about 
as a church. Let's stick with that. You as an individual believer, stick with that. And now it is keyboard time. Thank you. And so as the keyboards begin, as the keys begin, I want to ask you a very simple question, a very personal question in closing, and it's this. So have you received that salvation, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Have you at some point in your life, maybe you can't even remember when, but you know it happened good enough, have you at some point in your life gone to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit and said, and it can be a lot of different things you said, the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. The words don't seem to matter that much. It's the faith in your heart. And in another passage, we're told uh, they believed and repented. That always happens, though you might not know the terms when you're doing it. In another passage, we're told that they call upon the name of the Lord. Um, It doesn't matter which terms we use. The point is this. Has your soul gone out to Jesus Christ that he would be God to you and that you would receive from him what he purchased on Calvary's cross when he shed his own blood and died in the stead of sinners? Have you gone to Jesus and said, Lord, me? May I have that gift. This is what time is given to us for. Why do I have time? Why am I alive? Why do we have time on the planet? Time is in order to prepare our souls for eternity. Time is very short. Your life is very short. Eternity is very long. There's a heaven and a hell. Why do I have time? So that I might believe on the Lord Jesus and be everlastingly and eternally saved. That's what you're here for. Please, I beg of you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your heart to him. Do it right now. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us these portions of your holy word. And we pray for people in this room, again, for our young ones downstairs and for others listening in online, and pray that many, 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 even right now, would be with that thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And Father, we who are thus saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we pray that you will enable us to live as those who have been raised and already seated at your right hand because we are in Christ. And as those who are even already glorified, May we be a bunch of little Bethels, little houses of God going about our daily lives on this planet. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Before Pastor Stan lead us in communion, I want to remind you, as we periodically do, that we have this thing called Behind the Sermon. Here's what happens with Behind the Sermon. Later today, a couple of us will get together in a studio downstairs, and we'll record some little things. One of them gets released on Tuesday. One of them gets released on Thursday in all our media. Or you can pick them both up in our e-news that comes out every Thursday. Are you not signed up for our e-news? Well, we can help you with that. Go to the desk after church. They'll get you signed up. But anyway, we record this little thing that gives you some insights into some of what might have been Behind the Sermon 
sermon or a further explanation of something that was in the sermon. They last about three minutes apiece. So the one on Tuesdays, three minutes. Different one comes out on Thursday, three minutes. We'd love to have you participate in those. And we'd rise up and call you blessed if you not only watch them, but if you actually share. They're for your friends too. Thank you. Pastor Stan, come and lead us, please. Thank you, Steve, and good morning. Thomas said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's been a good day in the house of the Lord today. And Steve, I have a bone to pick with you. Um, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, that's what I was going to use <laughs> for, <laughs> use it again. All right, we can do that. All right. So before we come to the table of the Lord, if you forgot to get your elements, you can find them at the back. And if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to join us at the table of communion. And as Steve already shared, we're going to repeat it because if we don't perfectly obey the word of God and we have not let it sink into our soul, it's good to be repeated. Paul said, even though you know these things, I'm going to tell you them again. So we're going to look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4 again. After you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we are reminded here that our life is not our own. We have been bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Christ. And our interests should be his interests. And as Steve pointed out, our resurrected life has already begun. And we look forward to the day that it will be fully completed, the day that we are with our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he told his disciples, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant shed on your behalf for the forgiveness of sins. So we rejoice in what Christ has done. Now, you may be new here, and you may be wondering, how do we give here at Cornerstone? Well, there are three ways that you can give. One is you can text the dollar amount to the number that will be appearing on the screen. You can use our Tidely Act. And then there are two boxes at the back of the room, and you could put your offerings in those boxes. So Justin has some things to communicate. Justin. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Stan. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Justin. I am the youth pastor here at Cornerstone. And thank you all so much for being here this morning. It is always a blessing to be able to gather together and worship our Lord. So thank you. And also, if you are new here this morning, if this is your first time here and you would like to connect with us, please go ahead and text the word new to this number up here on the screen. We are so happy that you're here and we would love to connect with you that way. So please go ahead and do that if you're new here this morning. 
Also, we've got a lot of great events going on here at Cornerstone, and we wanted to just share two of them with you. The first is our event that we call First Take, and that is today after the second service at 12.30. So please come back at 12.30. You'll get a free meal. Who here likes free meals? Yes. Oh, wow. Come on. More people tonight like free meals. Yes. Okay. Come back at 1230. We'll feed you and you'll be able to ask Pastor Steve any questions you may like um, just to learn more about Cornerstone if you have any questions about that. So please come back at 1230. Um, the second thing we want to announce to you is our ladies conference. Um, you ladies have a very special gift this